sisters, it's good to come together and to worship the Lord with you after having enjoyed this beautiful day that the Lord gave us and enjoying fellowship with one another to come again at the end of this day to open up his word and see what the Lord would have to say to us uh, from this book that he has given to us. I'm sure that as you think back over your life, you can think of many women from whom you have learned a great deal. Uh, in my own life, I can think about, you know, my mother who taught me useful skills like how to sew on a button and how to hem pants. Then there were the Sunday school teachers who taught me how to treasure the Bible. The woman in my church in Mississippi who taught me how to make buttermilk biscuits. The, the woman in my church who taught me how to pray for missions. And there's always that one friend who teaches you how to sue the baby by like rocking and patting its bottom. That is an, an indispensable skill. Now, none of these women in my life and none of the women that you're thinking of in yours have probably been in any headlines in the news. Um, they've never been on the bestseller list. They've never won any awards. They've never been you know, on the red carpet. Nor would you know the names of any of these women if I said them to you. But the lessons that these women have taught me have shaped my life for decades now. The woman that we've come to consider in this session has no name. In our text that we'll be looking at in a minute, Jesus simply calls her woman. And yet, like so many women in our own lives, she is one of God's precious instruments to teach us truth. So I hope tonight we can learn from her what it means to know Christ. If you have your Bible, we're going to read her story. Or if you have a Bible app on your phone, you can turn there. We're going to be in the book of John. So we're moving a little further into the New Testament. The book of John. We're going to look at John chapter 4 and find out this woman's story. We're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to sort of read two different sections, but I'll let you know where we're going. So John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for, her, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that, says, that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, 
Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become to him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it's now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And then we're going to skip down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Tonight I'd like for us to learn three things about knowing Christ from this unnamed woman at the well. I'd like us to see first the woman who was known, secondly, the woman who needed to know, and third, the woman who wanted others to know. And my hope is that by looking at her story, we can then apply that to our own lives as we seek to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. So first, let's see this woman as the woman who was known. And it seems like we have sort of a current cultural obsession with personality typing. You don't have to spend too long on social media before someone will invite you to take a personality quiz, right? The Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs maybe, or sometimes it's something even sillier like, which Marvel character are you or which Downton Abbey character are you, right? And we have fun taking those tests and posting our results. You know, look, I'm an extrovert. Look, I'm a type five with a three wing. Or look, you know, I'm, I'm Wonder Woman. 
And I think that those tests, whether they're serious or whether they're silly, reveal something about us. And I think the thing that they reveal about us is that we want to know ourselves and we want to have other people know us. And so we take these quizzes and post the results because we're like, oh, finally, I figured out something about myself and I want you to understand it too. Well, this woman at the well reminds us that we are known in a far deeper way than any online personality test can tell us. You know, we read at the beginning, it's very curious, but in the beginning of this passage, in verse 4, Jesus is going on this journey, and verse 4 tells us, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, it's true that going through Samaria would be sort of the most direct route. Jesus was going between Judea and Galilee, and so going between those two places, the most direct route would be to go pass through Samaria. But the language here makes us think there's something more going on. The fact that John points this out uh, makes us think, no, there, there's some special emphasis here. And it seems to be that Jesus had to pass that way because he had to meet the Samaritan woman at that well, at that moment. And even before she met Jesus, that woman was already known to Jesus. He had an appointment with her before she knew that she had an appointment with him. You know, that's true of us as well. You know, David's Psalm uh, 139, talking about how the, he was fearfully and wonderfully made, you know, teaches us that the Lord knows each one of us before you were born, before you had taken your first breath, before you had moved a finger or said a word or batted an eyelash, you were known to the Lord. And you're still known by the all-knowing, all-seeing God. There is no part of you that is hidden from him. You know, it might seem like one thing, though, right, to talk about God knowing us in our dewy, newborn, baby newness with our fresh cheeks and our dimpled fingers. But probably for most of us, there are parts of our lives and parts of who we are that are not quite so beautiful and pristine as thinking about us in our newborn condition. And, you know, as the Samaritan woman talks to Jesus a little bit further, she finds out that she's known completely. She, every part of her is known to Jesus. Um, in verse 7, Jesus asked her for a drink of water, and she immediately replies, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She's saying to Jesus, don't you know who I am? Have, have you made a, you, I think you've made a mistake here. Have you, have you made a mistake asking me for water? See, the Samaritans were a group that arose after the Israelites were exiled to Assyria. So in the exile, God's judgment on his people was that many of them were exiled to Assyria. Some of them went to Babylon. Um, and the Assyrians then, this pagan nation that had taken over the Israelites, the Assyrians then intermarried with these Israelites that they had brought in as their slaves and um, had taken into captivity. And their descendants then were the Samaritans. And the Samaritans developed their own religious practices. Um, they accepted only the Pentateuch, that's the first five books of our Old Testament. 
um, and they built their own temple at a place called Mount Gerizim. And so the Jews looked down on them. First of all, they were the descendants of intermarrying with pagans, and then they had these other religious practices, and so the Jews largely considered them to be heretics. And then, of course, this woman at the well was a woman. Um, in the popular consensus of the first century, that made her automatically a second-class citizen because she was a woman. But of course, Jesus knew all that. And Jesus knew even more than that. Jesus knew why this woman had come to the well alone. Did you notice this? Right? So women in the first century would typically go to the well in the mornings or the evenings together when it's a little bit cooler, before they had started on their household tasks, after they had finished them, you know. Drawing water in this culture was a social event. It was something that you did with your friends, with the women in your town. You would all go together. Okay, time to go get water. Okay, we'll all go together and get water. So we would have expected this woman to have arrived at the well either early in the morning or late at night and with a group of people from her town. But here it is, it's noontime, the six-hour noontime, hottest point of the day, and here she is coming alone. And Jesus knew why. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. This woman was an outcast many times over. She was a woman, she was a Samaritan, and she was a sinner. Her multiple husbands and her live-in boyfriend point to a life of sexual rebellion. But Jesus knew all of that before she even said a word. Sisters, like this woman, we are known to Jesus. All of our sin, past and present, you know, you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. All of it is known to Christ. And yet, isn't this the wonder of it? He still comes to the well to meet us. When Jesus came to earth, Taking on human flesh in order to bear our sins on the cross, he already knew you. He knew the color of your eyes and your skin and your hair. He knew the scope of your intelligence and your emotional resilience and your athletic potential. And if you were on the ropes course with me today, you know that I have no athletic potential, and Jesus knows that too. He knew the things that would come easily for you, and he knew the things that you would struggle with. But he also knew the rebellious choices that you would make as a teenager. He knew the years that you would go to church and sing through clenched teeth. He knew every day that you would skip reading the Bible and praying in favor of watching Netflix. He knew the foolish amount of money that you would spend online last night. He knew the impatient word that you would say to your kids the other day. Jesus knew it all. And he still came to the cross to meet you. Sisters, we are known. You know, I love in 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. And he's giving them this, you know, really sort of striking 
list of sins and sins that the Lord hates and sins that the Lord judges. And, but there's a twist in, in the Apostle Paul's language there. So 1 Corinthians 6, in, starting in verse 9, he says, Paul says, oh, do you not, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Guess what? Unrighteous people have no dealings with a holy God. Do not be deceived, Paul writes, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty bad stuff there, right? And then he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Sisters, all the things that we were, such were some of you, such were us in this room, and yet we were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ came to meet us at the cross, even though he knew these things were true of us. But the woman of the well was not merely known, she was a woman who needed to know. It's interesting, um, in verse 10, she asked Jesus, Jesus, do you, you know, do you know who I am? How is it that you, a Jew, ask for water from me, a Samaritan? She questions whether, you know, maybe you've made a mistake here, Jesus. And he flips that question back on her. Instead of answering her question, he kind of asks her another question. He says, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I know who you are, Jesus is saying, but more importantly, do you know who I am? Then Jesus and this woman go on to have two conversations where Jesus is going to show her who he is and show her kind of the questions that she should be asking and what it is that she needs to know. They have a conversation about water, and they have a conversation about worship. The first conversation that they have about water, Jesus is teaching this Samaritan woman what her needs really are. She's coming there. She is looking for physical water. She's looking for something to quench her thirst, something to wash her body, something to do the dishes with. You know, this is what this woman is looking for. She's looking for actual physical water. And Jesus goes on to teach her that physical water is not her greatest need. Her greatest need, he says, is the water that wells up to eternal life. The Samaritan woman needs life in the spirit. And she needs to know also that the only place she can get this water is from Christ. She's, Jacob dug this well. It was important well. It was valuable to their community. It was full of ordinary water. But Jesus is the only one who can give her living water. And I think there's a lesson for us in this. You know, we are so quick sometimes to think that our needs are only physical. You know, if only we have good health, if only we had food to eat, if only our financial needs were met, if only we had clothes to wear, you know, this is what we really need. And what Jesus says to this Samaritan woman is, actually, you need a lot more than you think you need. 
actually you need living water. Sisters, we must be clear about what we really need, which is living water, the satisfying eternal life that's mediated by the Spirit. In a land, really, you know, this here in Samaria, out in the desert in Samaria, water meant the difference between life and death. If you had water, you had a chance at living. If you had no water, there was no chance for you. So water here, physical water, is a matter of life and death. But Jesus is using that metaphor of water to stand in for spirit-filled life, for abundant life, for unending life. And we can understand here that what he means by the living water is life that is full of his pardon, his peace, his mercy, his grace, his justification, his sanctification. And the only place that we can find it, the only place that the Samaritan woman could find it, is in Christ alone. Christ is the fountain of living water. So the Samaritan woman and Jesus have this conversation about water. Then they have a conversation about worship. And here, in the first conversation, Jesus was teaching this woman what she really needed. She needed spirit-filled life that could only come through him. In the second conversation about worship, she's teaching this woman about who God is and what he requires of us. Um, In verse 19, after Jesus tells the woman, you know, you have no, right when you say you have no husband, you've had five husbands, and this man is not your husband again, you know, the man that you're with now is not your husband, she, the Samaritan woman kind of starts to catch on, and she says, I perceive that you are a prophet, you know, okay, you clearly know some stuff here, so she's starting to, she's starting to kind of figure out, this is, this is not just an ordinary guy at the well, And so she thinks, okay, well, here I have a prophet. He seems willing to talk to me, so I'm going to bring in my questions. I've got theological questions, and here's this guy that's a prophet, so I'm going to give him my questions. And so she brings him a very important question. Um, She's not, you know, she's not sidestepping here, I don't think, in her question about which mountain they should worship on. I think she's asking a really important question. She's asking really one of the most important questions that any of us can ask, which is how can we approach God rightly? How can we come into the presence of a holy God right? Who is God and what does he require of us? So let's look at that conversation again. The, the woman says to him, verse 19, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She's starting to think, okay, maybe he'll have an answer for me. Then she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain But you say that in you, meaning the Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Look, at, look here. You know, Jesus doesn't ignore her question. He doesn't brush her off. He doesn't give her some pat answer. Um, he doesn't tell her what she wants to hear. You know, it's interesting. He doesn't say to her, well, it's okay. You're a Samaritan. Samaritans worship one way. Jews worship another way. It's all good. No, I mean, he gives her a straight answer. He corrects her. He says, Samaritans are wrong. 
You've been doing it wrong. You've, you've not been doing what the Lord requires. The Samaritans should have put aside their cultural and ethnic preferences, and they should have gone to the Jews who knew God's requirements for worship and followed those. It's in knowing God that we worship him rightly. Jesus here is sort of inaugurating a new era of worship. He says, the hour is coming and now is here. So with the advent of Christ, then we, we have a new era of worship. The temple worship is passing away. The sacrificial system is passing away. Worship, he says, is not going to be centered on a place anymore. It's not going to be focused on Jerusalem. Worship is going to be focused on where people are worshiping in spirit and in truth. Where the spirit is and where God's truth is being revealed, that's the center of worship. It's not going to be a geographic center anymore. And worshiping in truth, of course, requires knowledge. The more that we know of Christ, the more we know Christ, the more we become a true worshiper. Jesus calls the Samaritan woman to worship him in spirit and truth, and he calls each of us to worship him in spirit and truth. So how do we know, how do we learn the truth that is necessary to worship God in a way that pleases him? The first thing, and we've talked about this before, is study your Bible. That's where God reveals himself, is in his word. And so the only place that we can go to learn about who he is and what he requires of us is to study it, to memorize it, to sit under preaching, to pray for the help of the Holy Spirit, to understand what God says in his word. But also, I think we learn from the Samaritan woman to ask questions. I mean, I just love it that she's like, oh, here you are, you're a prophet. I've got a question for you. You know, she is a woman who is not afraid to ask questions. And I think this woman comes to us as one of a long line of question askers in the Bible who are true worshipers. This woman actually reminds me of a woman in the Old Testament who was a question asker. And she wasn't a Jew either. And she, she was not um, a disgraced woman like this woman at the well. She was actually a queen. She was the, the queen of Sheba, is what we often know her as. If you would turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of 1 Kings, let's see her story too, because she can teach us something as well about being bold with our questions. Um, in 1 Kings, back in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 10, we read about the queen of Sheba. And... She enters, she comes, she hears from her faraway land of Sheba, she hears about King Solomon. And you know, King Solomon was known for his wisdom. God gave him the great gift of wisdom. And so from her place in Sheba, she heard, you know what, there's this guy who knows some stuff. There's this guy who's very wise. And she thinks, great, I've got some questions. And so she loads up her camels with her spices and gold and her precious stones, and she travels all the way to Jerusalem. And she comes, she comes to Jerusalem, and verse, um, verse 2 then in chapter 10 says, She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There is nothing hidden.
from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants and their clothing and his cupbearers and their um, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. She asked all these questions he gave her, all these answers, and then she had nothing else to say. And she said to the king, the report that was true that I heard of you in my own land, of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and, and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever and he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as those that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon." So the queen hears, there's this guy, he's got lots of wisdom, she travels all this way to see him, she asks him all her questions, and he answers them for her, and when she sees that for herself, when she sees that all her questions were answered, what does she do? Essentially, she worships. She gives him all the things that she has brought, all of the gifts, she praises him, and she praises the God who has given her, him this worship. And she says, the Lord who has given you this wisdom, praise be to this God. And then she gives him the things that she has brought. You know, Jesus later on um, in the book of Luke, he refers to himself as the greater Solomon. And I think if the queen of Sheba asked questions of Solomon, how much more should we ask them of Jesus? Do not be afraid to ask questions of the Lord. Ask your pastors. Come to the text and to the Bible text and ask for the Holy Spirit to help you. Go to the elders of your church. Go to that wise woman that you know in your church and say, I have questions. Can you help me to find answers? Find the answers. Grow in knowledge. And then like the Queen of Sheba, don't stop there but worship. Praise the Lord who has given you answers to your questions. Sisters, God is seeking women who want to worship him in spirit and truth, and that means that he is seeking women who ask questions about who he is and what he requires of people. So the Samaritan woman was a woman who was known. She was also a woman who needed to know and who sought answers to her questions about Christ. And finally, I want us to see that she is the woman who wanted others to know. Um, I have a little girl who's five years old. I have three teenage sons, and then I have a little girl who's five years old. And so there's a big gap between uh, my children. And so I feel like when I had her, then I was kind of starting all over again, and I didn't know what all the, you know, new baby products were and what all the things were. And so I found myself going online a lot and looking at 
looking for products online, and then I would read the reviews, you know, and see, oh, is this a good thing? Is this something that I need, you know? And one day, I was looking for a pair of shoes for her. Um, she was just sort of beginning to walk, and I was looking for something to protect her feet. And I found a pair of shoes online that had 401 reviews. 401 reviews for something like this big, right? Why? Well, people felt very strongly about these shoes. And they felt so strongly about these shoes that they wanted to write a review and post it online for everyone to see. Well, you know, that should be our attitude to having encountered Jesus, just like this Samaritan woman did. You know, we have encountered Jesus, and so we want everyone to know that we have met Jesus and of his worth and of his value and that they should know and love him also. Notice what this woman did, the Samaritan woman, what did she do when she finally grasped who Jesus was? Well, the first thing that she did was she left her water pot. You know, that maybe reminds you of the disciples when Jesus called them, right? They were fishing, and the text tells us that they left their nets on, on the beach. For the Samaritan woman, the physical water wasn't quite so important anymore now that the living water was on offer. Um, when we know Christ, as the old hymn says, the things of earth grow strangely dim. The things that once consumed us, once we've met Jesus, those aren't so important anymore, are they? We leave our water pots because we realize that's not really the important water. What we have is the living water. Notice also, she came to the well alone. She was an outcast. This is a woman who had probably been really poorly treated by the people in her town, the people in her community. Um, yes, she had committed sin. Yes, she hadn't lived in a righteous way. And yet, did the, they shouldn't have refused to come to the well with her. They shouldn't have excluded her from their social gathering of going to get water. And so she had been treated poorly, most likely, by these people in her town. And yet, once she had met Jesus, she overflowed in compassion for them. She didn't allow the ways that they had mistreated her in the past to prevent her from going back and speaking to them about Christ now. I think that's true for us, too. You know, when Christ changes our hearts, when we have met Jesus, when we know Jesus, we have compassion on people, even people who have previously wronged us, even people who have sinned against us and not treated us well. And then I think the other thing that, the Samar the other thing that we do see that the Samaritan woman does is that she gives a testimony. She points people to Christ. I think this woman can be an encouragement to us. I think sometimes we think of evangelism as something that's really complicated, something that we have to, you know, really work on and get right and master, and maybe really only our pastor is very good at this. And I think the Samaritan woman gives us hope that certainly we can get better at evangelism, but it also can be somebody who met Jesus five minutes ago who's ready to tell other people about him. And she gives a very simple message she tells the people in her town, she invites them to come and see, and she says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did, right? First of all, it's interesting here to notice she references her own sin. 
Come and see this man who told me all that I ever did. You know, her sin was no longer something that kept her from other people. It was actually an opportunity to say, hey, I've got sins in my past. I bet you do too. I bet you need to know this, Jesus. She also, her testimony is so simple, right? This, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. She says to people in her town, he knew me, now I know him, and I want you to know him too. I mean, that can be, that's evangelism right there. Jesus knew me, now I know him, and I want you to know him too. This is such a simple testimony, and yet it's really the essence of evangelism as you think about it. You know, Jesus came and found me, and now I want you to come and meet him too. And this is work that delights Christ, right? Can you imagine? I'm, uh, Jesus, I'm sure, was so pleased that she did this. And look at what answer he gives, right? It, they went out of the town and were coming to him. And then it says many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of that woman's testimony. And they came and they asked Jesus to stay with them. And then many more believed. And so there's this exponential growth then of people coming to Christ just because she said to her neighbors, come and see. Come and see. Maybe, maybe he is the Christ. Come and see. Sisters, like the woman at the well, you are known. And Christ wants you to know him. And your friends and neighbors need to hear you say, come and see. Jesus told me all that I ever did. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you know us completely, that there is nothing in our past or in our present that is hidden from you, and that you came to the cross to meet us and to pay the penalty for that sin. Lord, we pray that as we go out from this place, as we look into your word, as we ask questions and find out answers, that you would meet us, that you would reveal something about yourself to us, that we might know you better. And we pray that by your spirit that you would give us the boldness then to speak to those who don't know you and invite them to come and know you too. Lord, we pray all of these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.